Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, how's everything going? Andrew and JJ here with Caught Offside. A little bit of a different start to the podcast tonight, of course, um, because of the news that broke earlier today. Uh, with the passing of a legend, Pele, uh, dying at the age of 82 in Brazil. Um, I know his health had been deteriorating. Maybe this was something that wasn't necessarily a completely stunning news, but it's nonetheless, when you saw it come down, JJ, I'm sure you felt much the, the way that I did, just kind of like, oh my God, like this this person who's been such a fixture in not just soccer culture, but really just the global culture. He's one of those names that resonates whether you know everything about soccer or nothing about soccer. Just seeing the news, it was just kind of like a, a shock to the system. Yeah, it was. And it's hard to remember. Well, there was no time where I didn't know who Pele was. There was no, it just seemed as if he was, he was football. If you knew anything about the game, if you knew nothing about it, you knew him. He was an ambassador for Brazil, but he was an ambassador for the World Cup. He was synonymous with those tournaments. And I'm, I'm, I'm too young to have seen him play, but I still know how he played. I know what he looked like in, in that Brazilian shirt. And like I said, he, he kind of was football. And it's, it's very strange and very, very quiet to think that he's gone now, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... So when this news came down, uh, right away, I mean, you and I were we were texting, we were talking about this, knowing that we had a podcast that we were going to be recording uh, later at night, and right away we thought, you know, one of the the Brazilian voices that we respect the most, who longtime listeners of this, of this podcast will be familiar with, uh, Sergio Patrick, for of a uh, freelance Brazilian journalist, we've seen him on uh, CNN. Radio Bandeirantes in the past, and uh, Sergio is back with us now to talk about uh, this news with Pele. Sergio, what's up? How are you? Doing all right. It's great to to be able to talk to you guys, uh, even though the the moment is, of course, uh, sad. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, it, I mean, you, you guys have all this uh, 
the, uh, all, all this relevance of Pelé in your lives because you love soccer. Now, being a Brazilian, it's just it, it's insane. And then living outside of the of, of the country for the last ten years, I think you can get like a better perspective. Like I, my experience has been like that, you know, of like how important uh, Pelé really is for for Brazil in general. Like the most recognizable Brazilian person ever. Um, sometimes in some places of the world, maybe even like better known than the country itself. So it's, it's, it's she was just immense. And, um, and we can talk soccer, we can talk uh, sports marketing. I had my, my chance to like interview him a few times and have like a few like anecdotes, a few like interesting stories about the personality. So it's just like so much to unpack. It's, it's good to be able to talk to you guys that I, that I like so much about such, a, such an important person for, for soccer. Yeah, and we're so happy to talk to you about it as well. Your insight on this is, is extremely valuable coming at it from the Brazilian perspective. I mean, you've, you've kind of summed it up, but I'm curious if, if you can even go deeper on it. Just the mood of the country right now over losing this sort of import, such an important figure to Brazilian culture. So one of the things that I love is that um, I saw JJ posted a picture with Pele and uh, so many of the Brazilians I know, uh, I mean, had a picture with him. And that means so much because uh, it means that he was at the same time this and my, and my brother was just like telling me about the day he, he saw Pele and there were no selfies and he got an autograph that he's like, now I have to find this because I, you know, uh, but it just shows how... Um, and, and JJ can, can talk about this, how nice he was and how, yeah. and, I, and I think in a way he, he knew how important he was to people. So he kind of like went above and beyond to just, you know, be that person. They're like, Hey, I, I know this matters to you. So here, let me, let me hold your hand. Let me be, give you like two minutes of my attention, smile and sign an autograph or take a selfie. So, I think people are, and because as you mentioned, like it's it's not unex, I mean, unexpected or, or surprising, you know. Um, I think it's just beautiful to see how people are referring to him and and remembering him because of um, all that he did as a soccer player. But also, I think most people that are talking about him now are people that heard about the soccer player but had the chance to see uh, who he was after that. Yeah, Sergio, I just found him incredibly warm. And he made me feel, I only had 10 minutes with him. He was, he was auctioning some of his memorabilia and personal effects, some of which was from the 1970 uh, World Cup tournament. And he made me feel like I was the most important person in the room. He talked to me during the interview. And then when I stopped the recording, he said, now, now we talk about the real football. So he was, he was very charismatic. And, and an incredibly strong, strong grip and felt like, felt this great warmth from, from him. Um, where, where I, it's so hard to know where, where to start with him, but I, I, I suppose something that struck me today was that I was watching the BBC talk about Pele and they had Tim Vickery on and, and some other people. And Tim made the point, and it's a point I've heard elsewhere, the Pele was born 52 years after slavery was abolished in Brazil. For him to go then and, and become basically Brazil's ambassador around the world, 
was a stunning story, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it, it means a lot, and it was, it's something that um, only really became more of a discussion uh, recently. I remember being a kid, and it was not something that people talked about so much, because I think uh, it, this is just a conversation that is, is now more present uh, in our lives in, in Brazil, and I think in the, in the U.S. as well, but uh, for sure in Brazil. Uh, compared to the 80s, let's say, when I was a kid, you know? So, yeah, now looking back, when you think about what this guy represented in the late 50s already, you know, and we had um, another player before him that was a um, top scorer of the World Cup in 1938, Leonidas da Silva, um, that was also um, black and had uh, an amazing career. And there's still, to this day, there's a chocolate in Brazil named after him because it was the golden, uh, the, the black diamond. That was his nickname. And uh, there's still Diamante Negro, the chocolate there. That was uh, um, like one of the first little marketing things that, were, that was done. Um, so Brazil already had um, someone that, 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 was, that came from that background um, that was like black and, and became a star and nationally uh, recognized. But what happened with Pele was just like, much bigger and you guys know like much more um relevant in like all like always so now we can look back and understand and you will hear some people in brazil saying like uh he could have done more you know he could have said more uh it's it's going to be part of the conversation as well you know he was not an activist like muhammad ali for example you know um but he was also he was like also a person that talked a lot about love talked a lot about the kids uh, that needed help, and I think in a way, people, uh, some people were kind of like, uh, didn't didn't take they didn't take it too seriously. They were just like, ah, oh, Pele is just trying to be nice or whatever. But also more recently, I think people were like, hey, he was like already calling our attention for something important back in the seventies, whatever, when they were, he was finishing his career, or in the late sixties when he was scoring his like thousandth goal. Uh, so he was already like raising awareness or talking about these issues. But yeah, it's, I mean, just think about uh, all the all the hardship that like some like black people or, or black descendants have in, in Brazil now in 2022 and now and go back like decades and think about what Pele was capable of doing. It's really, really amazing. Yeah, you know, I, I did want to, there's so many things I wanted to ask you about uh, with Pele, but you, you touched on one of them there. Because, um, you know, for millions of fans around the world, he's known primarily for his soccer and for a lot of people, his smile, that charismatic grin. Um, but in Brazil, like you talked about there, I know that there there is a little bit of resentment from some people that maybe he didn't exert his influence in more political ways when he could have. Was he, for however beloved he was and is as a Brazilian hero, was he also among certain portions of the Brazilian population, a polarizing figure? No, I, I wouldn't say polarizing. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say anything like, you know, that strong. But certainly, uh, like I mentioned, there, there are some people that uh, will raise that, you know, like little thing here or, or make a comment there. Uh, a lot of people, when they talk about his, his legacy or... Uh, when discussing, you know, Pele uh, not beyond his soccer career, they will talk about like some of the personal issues, and um, 
and he was the like the first one that like he he, he kind of treated Pele in the third person sometimes, and uh, because he was kind of like separating Edson the person from the hero uh, Pele that the whole the whole world knew, uh, kind of like <laughs> letting us know look. I have a life, I make mistakes, and, and people are just like, and I have a good friend um, that um, is a brilliant journalist in Brazil, uh, Gian Odi, he wrote uh, for um, ESPN Brazil how, uh, I guess, some people were trying to bring the perfection that he had on the field to his life. They were trying to, like, this, why isn't this guy perfect in, like, any, in, like, all, like, things that he does in life, you know? like And, and also he had... Um, a life that was like so exposed, you know, we have this celebrity culture now, but like in the early eighties, uh, I remember like Pelé's like dating life. He was like a divorced man and he was like all over the, the news, you know, like he was, he was discussed like no other person in Brazil. And I even, I remember like a little thing that I lived with him was that it was like a, a young reporter and I was, I, I knew that he was going to film a commercial in, in Sao Paulo uh, I had just flown back from Australia, and I was, so I was like as jet lag as you can be <laughs> with all the flight and and uh, 20, uh, the the twelve hour fourteen hour time difference. Went straight to the studio because you don't, I mean, especially when you're a young reporter. Like if you have a chance to talk to Pele, you go. You don't ask questions. <laughs> I got there. There were other reporters, and uh, when they they had a like a break uh, when they were filming and they had a, they had a little break, the the reporters went in the studio to ask him questions about his personal life. And I just sat back and didn't approach him. And then his assistant came and asked him, like, hey, if you want to talk to him, this is the moment. I was like, no, I, I don't want to talk about, him, about personal life. I'm here to talk sports. So if he has a minute, I would love to talk sports. If he doesn't have a minute, I understand, and I'll just go home. Well, this assistant talked to him, and he invited me to, hit, to like, this this room and gave me a 15 minute exclusive interview mm. because he, he thought it was like so nice that I, I wasn't asking about you know his personal life so I guess that shows a little bit how much it bothered him uh, but he also like didn't make it a big deal you know he tried to treat uh, the situation as best as he could uh, Sergio so uh, um in the, in the debate about the, the GOATs, the greatest of all time, something that's kind of been brought up about Pele in the debit column is that he never played in Europe. He didn't play in the Champions League, albeit the Champions League was, was only beginning to flourish in the 60s, really, late 50s, early 60s. Um, how do Brazilians view that? And also, is it, because I've seen it written everywhere, was it an actual government law or government rule that was taken out that he was like this national treasure and that he really couldn't have been transferred, they, that the government made sure he couldn't be transferred to Europe? Well, I, I never saw anything uh, or that, that proved uh, any government interference. Um, Brazil only had a dictatorship from 64 on. Pelé was already um, a target of like Juventus and, and some other European clubs before that. <clears throat> he was he was immense like before he was twenty, you know, he was already like so important that um and, and there were players uh like Brazil had Mazzola for example, Altafini that played in uh, for Italy in sixty two and Milan Juventus. He was transferred right after the World Cup in fifty eight. He played for Brazil and then 
he he was transferred to Italy. So that, it was not a thing that never happened, um, and it was. But of course, it was not as easy as today. I mean, today it would have been like um, probably like what we just saw with Andrik Felipe that Real Madrid signed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, first minute they could, they went there with a ton of money and signed the player. Uh, and he would inevitably play, play the Champions League, and we would have another um, perspective, another idea of how good uh, he he could be compared to Messi and Cristiano, maybe Zidane. Uh, he also played against some of the very best defenders that Brazil had, and Argentina and Uruguay when he played all the tournaments in South America, because they were not playing in Europe as they are now. Uh, Brazil had the best. Uh, players in the world, arguably between 58 and 70, right? With the three World Cups and four. Uh, So Mm -hmm. he played against great players. He played against great teams. But yeah, when he had a chance and he played the World Cup, he also had some big moments, 58 and 70. In 62, he was injured. 66 was a a disaster for Brazil. But when he had, and, and then some of the big games against Benfica and AC Milan when they played the Intercontinental Cup. So he had, he had some uh, big moments to show that uh, I think it was just a matter of opportunity that he never had. Uh, and even the Champions League, if you go back to the 60s when he played, when he was in his prime, the Champions League was not, it was not really what the, um, what the clubs, uh, uh, what the history of the European football would, would would make the most important like it is now. You know, sometimes right. like a league game or uh, a cup game would be even like more relevant for the history than the Champions League. Now it's a different story, right? Yeah, I kind of want to ask you a little bit more about him domestically uh, as a footballer in Brazil because it's funny, you know, the world, of course, associates him with Brazil and that yellow that yellow shirt, number 10, and the successes that he experienced on the international stage. What about in Brazil? Is he, is he a Santos man first who also played for the national team? Or, or do the national team exploits and what he did at the World Cup, does that just trump everything even within the boundaries of Brazil? Yeah, he, he just like symbolizes the, um, like the yellow jersey, even though the first World Cup he won with the blue one. Which is which is beautiful, right? Against Sweden yes. in '58, and I still can't believe I was um, showing some videos to my son because my son just fell in love with soccer. He's turned seven now, and he he's he all he talks now is about Messi and Mbappe, and and he's like in love with soccer. And I, so I was like, hey, let me show you this video. of This guy that died today, he was like the best that Brazil ever had, and all that. And so he's looking at the, the video and I'm telling him like, this was when he was 17. Then my son is like, so he was only 10 years older than me. And that's why my mind right, blows because yes, <laughs> right. yes. Uh, so, and then and, and he also asked like, oh, and he was number 10. And it's to me like, it, and you guys probably feel the same way. Like number 10 is like the classy player, the one that is going to take your team. I mean, what Messi did, right? He's going to take your team to win the World Cup or like a big trophy, whatever. And and it wasn't like that, right? Ten, the number ten was almost like an accident. He was a he was not a starter in '58, and he ended up with the number ten. And then and then, I mean, he just he made the number a legend too, right? So, yeah, both both the I mean, 
the history of the number, the Brazil soccer and the national team, everything goes through him. You know, there's like, there, there's no way to not go through him. Even though we had Garincha, there was like, in 62, the best player of the World Cup, and they were very good friends and was amazing as well. But like, th there's no, I mean, I don't, I don't see people comparing them in Brazil. Garincha has his place, but Pelé is Pelé, you know. Um, Sergio, sometimes timing is everything. And when I think about the 1970 World Cup, which really just cements Pele as, as the greatest, as the guy who was just completely to be associated forever with the World Cup. Um, if, if, how important was 1970 in your view? Like, if Pele didn't have Mexico in 1970, how would we view him? I mean, he would have still had an amazing resume but 1970, because of the television, seemed to just cement that. Um, how important was 1970? Yeah, and it was a great team, too. So, of course, mm. like a, a little bit of uh, luck helps, right? He, he never really played with, with a, like bad uh, teammates uh, when playing for Brazil. Um, he was always, like, you know, full of stars, and he would look around and have, like, these amazing guys to, like, pass the ball and... and in, like create the plays with, but in 1970 it was it was special. Even though Brazil was not, um, like yeah, Brazilians were not very excited about the team in '69 when Brazil qualified. There was a lot of discussion. Um, Zagallo um, only became the coach a few months before the World Cup, and then decided to make to do something that would be impossible today. Just like, I mean, it's possible for some national teams but not for the, the ones that have tons of players in, in Europe, which was a long preparation. And that helped uh, Brazil. It helped Pelé because he was, he was an athlete before mo most soccer players were athletes. He was, like, very physical and strong. And he, like, I mean, you see the goal against Italy in the final and, I mean, how much he jumps. You know, we see Cristiano now, mm. like, jumping absurdly. I mean, for, for 1970, that was, like, really amazing, you know. So... Uh, that that preparation made it possible for him to be in his prime physically. He had a great team around him, around him so I think it was very important because 58, he was young and played, um, I mean, half of the World Cup, 62, he got injured. So yeah. that was the one when he played from start to finish. He was super important. He played so well. And I think he scored some beautiful goals, but the most important play for me was that pass for Carlos Alberto in the fourth goal against uh Italy unbelievable he's not even looking and he just like delivers the ball like it's so classy it's so like, i have goosebumps just to think about it and i remember <laughs> having the opportunity to, to uh tell that to carlos alberto before he passed it was on a tv show with him and uh i told him that that was like my most uh, my, my most favorite goal of all time like the, the goal that I, that I that i always love to watch when i have a chance uh and he was he was telling me about the pass that was brilliant, but also hit a little thing on the pitch that made the ball like lift just enough for him to kick perfectly the way he did. Uh, otherwise, he may, he, he may never, he would not be able to, to hit so perfectly. <laughs> Brazilian journalist Sergio Patrick joining us here on Caught Offside as we talk about uh, the life and legacy of, of Pele. And Sergio, you mentioned something before that I, I really wanted to ask you about. I'm so curious. So he was 82 years old when he died. You talked about your son before, who's seven years old, who wasn't really familiar. You kind of had to put some of Pele's highlights in front of him. 
to give him this understanding. You know, when I think of great athletes that reach that kind of age, I wonder just how influential of a figure they remain among younger generations that never saw them play. How was Pele viewed, maybe not necessarily among seven-year-olds like your son, but younger generations in Brazil, you know, 20-year-olds, anyone under 30, was he was he still revered in that same sort of way as, as he was among his peers and people who were able to have seen him play? No, unfortunately, I think this, those are the things that um, kind of like, they, I think they, they lose, the, you know, this like strength with time. Uh, I remember growing up and you would hear, I would hear from my dad and look, my, we are Palmeiras fans and Palmeiras was the only team that, that, was able to beat Santos. Palmeiras and Botafogo were actually the two teams that were able to beat Santos in the 60s a few times and win a few trophies. And my dad would say, like, I, I hated Pele because you, he destroyed us so many times. But at the same time, I had so much respect because he was, like, he was such a, like a good player, classy mm. and all that. Um, so you would hear, like, you know, my dad was, like, he went to the stadium to see Pele a few times. So it was, it was a different experience, right? Uh, now it's me telling my son, and uh, so I think, unfortunately, it, I mean, we're probably not uh, not seeing that like, we don't have a generation of like twenty year olds or thirty year olds that that know all that he was able to do, and uh, maybe don't even understand what the world was before the internet or a career that had like uh, this amazing moments that nobody filmed or films that were destroyed in like fires, you know, because they were you know the, like uh, this material that would like catch like fire so easily that we had unfortunately a couple of bad fires and tv stations in brazil that burned like some of the some of the most beautiful pele goes so we, we we hear about them but we don't we don't have all the that evidence that is like so like seamless for people that are like you know in their 20s and their 30s they're so used to like everything they learn about the world they are seeing in video right so when it, when it comes to pele it's going to be a different. It is a different story for them, and it's going to be a different story for uh, for the next generations because we have some evidence, but we don't have everything. If you want to know him better, you have to understand the things that you can't see and and uh, enjoy them as well. Sergio, um, what do you expect for the next few days in Brazil in terms of of how will the the country physically and emotionally react? What will there be a period of mourning? days uh, what will happen well again i'm going to mention my my team because it's a rival of santos where pelé played most of his career uh Pombeiros already uh is in like official like mourning uh like you know flags that have masked and seven days of like respects for pelé so that's just one club that is not even the club that he played for you know santos announced a few days ago when I mean, it was clear that the situation was only going to last some more time, uh, that they're going to put a, a crown on top of their um, emblem as, you know, a representation of Pelé forever uh, at every jersey that Santos wears, which is beautiful. It's very nice. as the king, you know, that's how he's recognized in, mm -hmm. in Brazil as well. Um, yeah, you can expect there, there's a lot going on politically in Brazil, so it takes a little bit of the attention because we have the transition um, it's just now on the 1st of January that the new president, Lula, will um, be back in office and Bolsonaro will, uh, is leaving. So that, is, that has been a, a bit tense and it's taking a lot of attention in Brazil. But other than that, it's going to be 
all about Pele, you know, and people just like honoring him. And you're going to, you, you may, you probably um, see like stadiums being named after him, like avenues and streets and like, uh, you know, whatever you, you can, you can name. Uh, we already have some things named after him, but in Brazil, it's more of a tradition to honor a person with like the name of, of, of a, a monument or of a street or avenue after the person passes. So you're probably going to see a lot of that and it's just going to be, and statues are going to be, you know, like be unveiled as well or, or announced because people are going to try to, you know, um, honor his memory as best as they can. Uh, Sergio, before we close out, I know you referenced uh, near the start of this interview that, you know, you've had various interactions with Pele during your time as a journalist in Brazil and you've got various anecdotes. Do you have, do you have a favorite, a favorite memory of, for you with him? I do. I, I'm actually, uh, if you guys allow me, I'm going to tell you guys uh, two uh, that, I re- that I really like. Um, yeah. One of them was just uh, super funny because we had a show that was like soccer and, and humor kind of like blended because uh, there was like this like amazing comedian called Beto Ora um, and he did like all kinds of voices, still does. Um, so one day, Pele's uh, mom was listening to the show and he was impersonating Pele and just like, he just saying like nonsense, you know, and, uh, but she didn't know. So she called Pele and she goes like, son, why did you say all those things in that interview? And he was like, I didn't like give any interviews. So he found out that there was a guy that was so good at impersonating him that his mom thought it was him. Uh, so he, called the show and of course like when he called the show we were like oh my gosh like Pele you know he wants to be on air like of course like he became a regular and then uh, he became friends with this comedian and uh, one day he decided to surprise them so uh, I knew it because I was I was the I was in charge of the the sports department of the radio at that time but the guys didn't know at the studio so he arrived I uh went up the, the, the stairs towards the studio behind him and kind, and kind of like having to push people away because people were always wanting a picture with Pele. It's kind of one of those things like you see Pele. And then, and then I, 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 we entered the studio and I was right behind him with a camera just to get the reaction from the guys inside the studio. And it was amazing. They were like, oh my God, you know, like he just like showed up at the studio and casually and, uh, and of course, like it was, it was uh, a very cool moment. And the other one was just um, uh, like an act of kindness and attention. Again, like this, I already mentioned this, but like um, that he had with me when I was a reporter. So I was at uh, Villa Belmiro, which is Santos Stadium. Santos was practicing there um, ahead of, um, of a big match uh, that they were, they were going to have like on a Sunday. So this was probably like a Friday. And, uh, and then we were all there on the pitch interviewing the players and the coach and all that. And then we saw Pele on the stands and he was talking to this TV, this French t- uh, crew for a documentary. We asked him to come to the pitch. He, j- he, he was like very generous, came uh, and gave us a, a quick interview. I tried to ask him a question three or four times. But you know how reporters can be like, a, like when it's not like an organized like press conference. It's just a bunch of reporters like with the microphones. They're all like trying to ask their questions. And some of them like asked like three or four questions. Pele noticed that. And when he was called by the crew, he apologized to me. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. Right. And then I stayed there at the pitch, like just talking to the other reporters and kind of like wrapping up. 
And I felt like someone like tapping me on the shoulder and I turned around like 10 minutes later, it was Pele. And he was like, hey, now I can uh, answer your question. And I was like, that's so nice, right? And I asked my question and of course, like it was like this, now I have a moment and I'm going to like tell the story like whenever I can because I thought it was so cool that he took the time, not only he apologized at first, but then he came back and he was like, that reporter, like he was trying to ask me a question. I'm going there because I need to answer his question and he did it. So that's my favorite story with, uh, with Pele. I just, the, the question was probably not as good as uh, his gesture because I don't re- really, really remember what I had to ask him. <laughs> but uh, I just thought it was really nice of him to like worry about this like junior reporter, I don't know, 25 years old. Uh, he was like very nice. Wow, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's really, really cool. <laughs> Um, Sergio Patrick, we, we can't thank you enough uh, for your time, your insight, and kind of just sharing some of your, your thoughts, feelings, memories of, uh, of this legend, Pele, who uh, died earlier today at the age of 82. Sergio, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. And uh, I mean, we don't always have a chance to talk uh, so much about, uh, about Pele. And now I think, I mean, if there's one thing that we can do, right, it's just to uh, remember how great he was and uh, and honor him as like one of the one of the greatest things that ever happened to soccer. Thank you guys. Our thanks uh, to Sergio Patrick, uh, journalist, Brazilian journalist, CNN, Radio Bandeirantes. We appreciate his time on uh, a tough day for Brazilians. I mean, this was this was more than just a sports figure. This is somebody that was you know felt like whether you knew him or not. I mean, Sergio had actual human interaction with him, um, but this this strikes me as the kind of guy that felt like he was a part of every Brazilian's family. Uh, he was that prevalent in Brazilian society. It's, it's, it's a huge loss, huge loss. Yeah, I was reading about Nelson Rodriguez, the journalist who covered the team in 58. And, um, you know, they had the calamitous loss to Uruguay uh, in the World Cup final. And, I mean, it was just such a such a disaster for the country. And they went to Sweden with not massive expectations and Pele and that team gave Brazil so much pride and he became much much how we talked about Argentina and their football team and their 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 cultural and social ties to the football team but you know this Brazil wasn't a country that people knew a lot about it seems remarkable now because we know so much um, but it wasn't, and Pele and these players kind of became these ambassadors, more than ambassadors. They were Brazil. I mean, he's the first thing I think I thought of probably up until the last few years where he was less of a public figure. He was the first thing you thought about when you thought about Brazil, way mm-hmm. after he played, years after he played. Um Later on in the pod, we're gonna we're gonna play my interview with him, which I, um, you know, listeners to the pod will say will know that I've said in the past it's it's not my I don't think it was my finest interview. <laughs> I, I listened back to it today. It's not as bad as I thought, but it's interesting what um, Sergio Patrick said when we he said that there was there was Edson and then there was Pele, and Pele said this to me because I addressed him by his full title. And then he said, oh, he was kind of taken aback. He goes, oh, you know, no one calls me that anymore. They only know Pele. They don't know Edson. But he charmed me so much. 
that the obvious the obvious bloody question to answer was, well, what's the difference between Edson and Pele? And I never asked it. Yeah. Ah. Mm. Oh, that that was galling to listen to. So we'll we'll give you that later, though. Oh, what a tease for for playing that interview later on. <laughs> We're going to no, close my, out. <laughs> no, it's just I switched off. He was he like because he took my hand like right before him. It was a big a big shake hands and a hug. Hmm. Wow. Like, like it was, it was like he, when I came to that room. So so it was a building in New York on West Twenty Sixth Street, down by the, I suppose the Hudson Yards area is now. And um, I went upstairs, and he he had a few interviews before me, and I was waiting to 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 go in, and they had Manchester City were playing Real Madrid in the in the Champions League semi final, I think, or quarter final. So I'm sat there watching it, and then I'm 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 kind of ushered in and told to come in. So he's in a big room, you know, one of these big old warehouse rooms that's now a media room, right? So I have to walk, say like maybe twenty or thirty yards to him. And he's there sat on a chair that I'll sit beside him. And I'm like, I'm walking towards Pele. What is happening? And in the 30-yard uh, moments of the walk, because I didn't write, I, I wrote things down but uh, on a cue card, but I wasn't going to hold the card and read the questions. Like, So I had a, a good mental inventory of what I was going to ask. And in between those times, just the whole presence and aura of the guy erased everything. You melted right there. I really did. I'm not sorry, though. I'd do it again. What a man. Just what a man. Uh, and, and to be in his presence. He, and he knew he was great. He did know he was great. And uh, I don't want to step on, on my interview at the end. He did kind of suggest that there were better players in, here, in his era than there were in the modern era. Or there were fewer great players in the modern era than there were in his era. So I thought that was kind of like, he was very much defending his legacy and records. And uh, yeah, he, he also says something very interesting about playing in the NASL, um, which I thought was a, was a, it was a great time for him. People don't realize he enjoyed his time in America. Did he make a lot of money? He sure did. Uh, but he had fun here, and he enjoyed playing soccer here. Yeah, yeah. I guess to close out, like you said, we'll we'll, we'll finish the podcast tonight with your interview with him. Um, but you know, you mentioned before about you know not much was known about Brazil at that time. You know, obviously certain elements of it, but the soccer was what stood out most. Um, boy, it must have just been such a point of pride for the Brazilian people that. You know, you could you could really say obviously there were other great players before Pele. That's that's a fact. But in terms of the first truly global soccer superstar, I think you point to him. Yeah. I, I mean, I really do. And I think that the you know with the way Brazilians feel about this sport, um, boy, the pride that they must have taken from that—that that the first true global superstar in the sport was was one of them. Um, I think it just probably, it, I'm sure it only deepened the connection that they felt with him. That that was, wow, that's our guy that the world is talking about. Yeah. And and again, his socioeconomic background. I mean, he came from just poverty, unimaginable poverty to us. And to get all the way to the top was, was something else. And it was a, a criticism of him, certainly as I, he did become a bit of a of a corporate figure in the 90s. 
Like he always seemed to be shilling for some company or he would always seem to be, you know, um, it, there seemed to be a gap between his play, a real gap between his playing days where he became this, this kind of salesman for soccer. And, you know, he, his, his reputation as the greatest ever came under a little bit of attack from younger people like me who'd never seen him play. And we're like, you know, what's the big deal here? Um, but there's a great TikTok going around and it shows Zidane doing one of Zidane's turns and Pele's doing the exact same thing for either Santos or Brazil like 30, 40 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was ahead of his time. And when you watch uh, Pathé newsreel of English players, even really good ones in the 50s and 60s, right? And you compare it to the newsreel of him, there was just a flamboyance, a flair, and an energy gap yeah, between it those. Was like, it was like he was a time traveler. Yeah. But, yeah. And what he did, like, there's this picture of him for Santos executing a perfect bicycle kick. I mean, the form is unbelievable. He's got this straight back, the the, the angle of his legs, the you can see the muscle and sinew. And also, that's another thing. He's ripped. He's in great, like he's in unbelievable shape, and that wasn't always the case uh, for soccer players. Um, I, you know, he really put effort into into what he did and into his training. Uh, oh, fabulous man! It just, uh, I know it was it was common. I know he was o- an, an older person with with health complications. You know, you know the way it's going to go. It's it's life, but it's still so sad today. Yeah. Um... So we'll go ahead. We're going to take a break. We'll come back to the rest of the podcast on the other side. And like we said, at the end of it, uh, we'll close out tonight with um, bringing you um, a replay of JJ's interview with Pele from, when was it you said back in 2016? 2016, yeah. April yeah. 2016. Um, it was uh, it, it was still really, really cool. And, and you guys can be the judge of whether it was crap or not. Well, no one should really be. You're you're not important in it, don't you? No one's judging your questions. We're here for the for the Pele part, Andrew. All right? It's all about me, always. I forgot. You know I that. forgot. I forgot. Uh, well, I'll tell, I'll tell you what. We'll go ahead. We'll take a break. Our thanks again to Sergio Patrick for giving us uh, so much time to talk about uh, the life of, of Pele. Really appreciate his insight on that. Uh, more caught offside still to come. Oh, back now on uh, on Caught Offside. Um, JJ, we'll get to um, some of the Premier League games that took place over the, the past couple of days since we last recorded. We've also got a little bit of a 2022 year in review that we're going to talk about um, as well. I've got some fun things in there. I'll see what you have. Uh, mailbag, I, I see you've compiled some, some mail. Um, one final Pele question that I had for you. And, okay. And I, I don't mean for this to come across as, as callous, or anything like that. I, I hope it's not taken that way. I, I'm a, I'm asking this just because I know how, like I know how Brazil props up its soccer stars and and the regard with which they hold them, and so it's interesting when you when you think about the title of being the greatest living Brazilian soccer player. What an what, what like an honor it is to be that guy, and for our entire lives it's been Pele, and I don't know that anyone has has really threatened that title at any point. Um, and I, I kind of am thinking about this now, like it, it's a strange thing that he's no longer with us and what Brazilian player sort of inherits that title now. 
of being wow. of being the greatest living Brazilian soccer star. I mean, that's that's tough. Yeah, that's a very that's very tough. Um, I I don't think there's anyone really really close in that regard. I mean, Ronaldinho's peak was stunning and amazing, but it was super short. Uh-huh. Um, Romario was like a truly great Brazil, a World Cup winner too as well. He bridged the gap in 94. His goals were vital. Like a truly great goal scorer. Um, Ronaldo, Ronaldo probably comes in there considering his Ballon d'Or awards and the kind of two stages to his career. There was the early crazy, just like this absolute force of nature. And then there was the latter um, uh, player who had adjusted for for the injuries and, and was still still a really great player. But even still, um, that's really tough. Yeah, I, I, I'm. There are some some players who remain from the '82 team who would probably maybe come into that in that mantle too. But I mean, they never won a World Cup, right? So that's that's very tough. tough. He was in rarefied air. He really was. Yeah. Um, well, that's what makes it interesting. Is like with him, there was just there was no debate. Like he was he was it. Now, I mean, you just rattled off any number of names right there that each one of them could make a case, I suppose, but there's no there's no sealed, you know, sealed up lockdown name that you would say like like it was with him where it was just kind of this there was no there was no conversation. It's Pele. Like uh, so it's it's interesting to to see that now. Um There'll be some I mean, there'll be some people who will probably uh they'll talk about players like Zico and that um but again you know they were amazing but they just they just weren't him uh by the way if people are interested in Pele's era in the United States a book that i regularly reference is uh once in a lifetime the extraordinary story of the new york cosmos um that is it's 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 just so good i mean there's a there's a documentary on it if you want to watch that but it's uh it's based on the book which is it, like it, it's so good, and and you know bringing Pele to Randall's Island to show him the pitch he was going to play on, and making sure they had painted some of the dirt green, <laughs> so he thought that it was lush green grass, you know, and and think of New York in the mid to late seventies, and you're you're taking you're trying to encourage the greatest star in the world to come and play, and on Randall's Island as well, which was for any people in New York. It's been renovated. It's now probably the home of soccer in New York. It's got all these fields, but back then it was, it was a different prospect. So yeah, sure. uh, once in, once in a lifetime, the extraordinary story of the New York Cosmos, amazing. And uh, yeah. our friend Henry Kissinger. I was on um, PBS NewsHour tonight. And Kissinger Unbelievable. came up. The the guys in Kissinger was in my mind because he was crucial in getting Pele. He was in Sao Paulo on. Some kind of business. Uh, it's not. I don't want to comment on that. But he was there, and he he spoke to Pele, and he said, "Would you come and play for New York Cosmos?" And you know, to, to explain to him what the NASL was, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, Kissinger, that guy, and this podcast. Were, I did not laugh when I said his name, though. You know, on national on a national TV show, you don't want to be. I could have gone. The United States have stadiums, technology. But it wasn't wasn't the place. That's not it, the venue. It wasn't the venue for that. Um, yeah. yeah. 
That was PBS NewsHour, right? That wasn't PBS NewsHour. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I was on with uh, uh, Laura Baron Lopez. So, you know, she's that. gone from basically, you know, being the, she's the White House correspondent for PBS, and then she's talking to me. So <laughs> don't, yeah, that's six degrees of Joe Biden. You are now with you're now within the reach. That's right. Yep. Uh, JJ, let's talk a little bit about some of the soccer over the past couple days here. We, uh, we of course did a podcast the other day on Boxing Day, but, uh, there has been the action, the action has continued. It has not stopped. Let's run through a couple of them here. Chelsea, uh, they begin the, uh, second portion, the restart, I guess, with a 2-0 victory over Bournemouth. Pretty good performance from Chelsea. Mason Mount, uh, looked really good in this one. Christian Pulisic got the start, played really well, nearly had a goal, was taken off for uh, a foul in the buildup from um, Kai Havertz, but uh, nearly drew a penalty. It was I thought it was a pretty good performance from Christian. Overall, I think if you're a Chelsea fan, it was a good way to start the uh, the second half. I mean, yeah, I guess, but then you have Reese Jones, uh, Reese James, excuse me. Uh, that's true. And his his setback, I guess it was this. It was the the in in the injured knee. Um, he felt discomfort in it, and he's come off, and they reckon he's going to be out for a month. And he described on Twitter as 2022 being the toughest of his career, you know, having missed the World Cup and now the prospect of missing even more time. That That's very, very rough. And yeah. it's such a shame because he's such a good footballer. He really is. Um, now, I suppose he could be a little bit heartened by the fact that it's four weeks. You know, coming off of a knee injury and then re-injuring it, I'm sure there was something that went through his head that thought, well, that's my season done. Um, so the fact that it's a month... Uh, you know, if we're looking for silver linings, that that is one. Uh, that you know, he'll play again this season. But it is unfortunate for a guy who's so good, um, so important to Chelsea, to England, and he's just had to miss so much of the season. It's uh, it's yeah, you're it's incredibly unfortunate. And we'll see how well this club is able to weather that storm. They've they've done a okay, well, I'll say okay job. They're, I mean, they're mid table right now, but um, so. they are. But but I, I do think there is a sense with them, and it's it's so strange because it's it, it's just such a marked difference from the Abramovich era that they'll take you know this short term pain for the long term gain, and that they they are going to stick with Graham Potter through this sure. and allow him to in, implement his plan, get the players in that he wants. This is much more. It seems at this juncture uh, like a much more long term Chelsea than we've ever seen before. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I, w- I would agree with that. Um, but uh, a 2-0 victory for Chelsea. They're eighth now um, in the table. Only 19 goals that they've scored this season. I mean, that's just that's a staggeringly low number. Fulham, who are right beneath them at ninth, have scored 27. Like, yeah. You know, Erling Haaland by himself has scored more <laughs> so far well, this season than Chelsea we'll as a whole. We'll get to that. Yeah, just uh, interesting. But they do get the win, which for now is most important. Um, continuing JJ Manchester United, uh, pretty kind of a walk in the park, three nil over Nottingham Forest. Good performance from, from United in this one as the post Ronaldo era is underway. Yeah. Um, extremely wet night. So, you know, it was the, the ball was visibly, uh, holding up on, on the Old Trafford turf, an easy performance, uh, helped in, in no small part by the goalkeeping of Wayne Hennessy on, on one of the goals or, 
I just I don't care how wet it is. He's got he's got to turn that around the post. But um, nevertheless, United were good in it. Um, and then reports afterwards really uh, that Eric Ten Hag is annoyed, frustrated. Uh, ESPN are saying on missing out on Cody Gagpo. So they're still they are looking at short term replacements for Cristiano Ronaldo because uh, right now they don't have the money or the funds aren't available to go and buy someone in January. So it's all short-term uh, short-term stuff and loan deals that they're looking at. And some of the names are kind of interesting, I guess. Uh, Joao Felix uh, from Atleti, although that would that would come with a serious uh, amount of money in terms of wages. Uh, Marco Arnautovic from Bologna. How his name still keeps coming up, uh, I don't know. We heard it at the start of the season when they made that dreadful start. I, I really would love to know what um, Ten Hag sees his role or what he can do for him, but he clearly clearly sees some value in him. And then uh, Alvaro Morata. So kind of a very strange list of, of potential uh, loan signings for United. Otherwise, it seems as if, Andrew, they won't be, won't be bringing in anyone on a permanent deal. Uh, yeah, sources told ESPN that United did not lodge an official bid for Gakpo because they could not match the financial package offered by Liverpool, which is which is a little bit surprising considering some of what we said about Liverpool's acquisition of Gakpo the other night, where we were we were kind of caught off guard by how reasonable the sum of money involved appeared to be, and for a club like United not willing to go to that level for a, such a talented young player like Gakpo is, who you know, seemingly in a in an area of need for this club. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, if we're talking about, you know, Gakpo likes to play up front on the left, that's kind of Marcus Rashford's territory, although Rashford, I think, has some versatility where he can be moved around. They they could have made it work. Um, so, yeah, you know what? If, if I'm Eric Ten Hag, and I know I just had a void opened up in attack with Ronaldo leaving, uh, albeit Ten Hag probably views that as a good thing, but nevertheless, it's still a void up front. It's, it's a body that's no longer there that he could use. I... I understand why there would be some frustration there for him. Yeah, I get that. I, I do. I do think Richard Arnold. I can't remember how many months ago was it during the summer. Uh, at one point, that there was belt tightening uh, was talked about, and so um, this would certainly be in line with that policy. And um, I, I just wonder what that means for United. Does that mean that they they release more players in the summer? I know they're trying to get players off off the wage bill. We know that um, they'll. It's all. It's kind of been an issue for them for a long time that the squad is quite bloated and they, and they need to move guys on. So um, maybe that's the first task uh, before they bring anybody in. Yeah, but I mean, look, it's if there is belt tightening, the fact that it's happened after they've signed Casemiro, Anthony, um, whom I forget. I mean, they brought in Christian Eriksen. You know, that was on a free, but. Uh, you know, so like they, Lissandra Martinez, like, so they, they were busy in the summer to, you know, to bring players in. It's not like the belt tightening has prevented them from improving. Um, I guess they just felt that we've got to, we've got to draw a line somewhere. Yeah, but they had a big wage drain in terms of Ronaldo. And I'm sure Ronaldo was paid out in some form, you know? Yeah. So this is already money gone out of the coffers to get this guy off, off the squad. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, at any rate, you know, I, I mentioned Rashford. He scored again uh, coming off of a good World Cup. He's had a good season. What do we say, JJ, about progress? It's it's not always linear. You know, Rashford, promising player. Last season then, 
was a disaster for him. Two goals in 23 games, I think it was. I mean, I mean, really a terrible season. You start to wonder, well, like, what what level is he on? Like, is he, you know, should he be playing at a, at a club that's not of a Champions League caliber? Is he an England-level player at a World Cup? Like, we, we started to wonder all those things about him, and now... Here he's bounced back this season, and he's answering a lot of those questions again for the better. So I'll be interested to see where the rest of the season goes. Now, if he's, you know, if he's their answer for where the goal is going to come from, um, I don't know if if he's like. Do you view him as like a twenty twenty five goal scorer? I don't. I don't know that I do. Not really. Doesn't mean that he can't be an extremely effective and important player for them, but um, you know they're going to need help. Martial scored in this one as well for Manchester United. That's important. You know, we see flashes. We've never really seen it consistently from him. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll be curious now that, like, the the Ronaldo shadow has been removed from this team. What does that do for certain players? Where they're, you know, will that free them in some way? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see where this club goes now. Um, and if some of these younger players feel like they can now sort of emerge in a way that maybe they weren't quite so comfortable doing when Ronaldo was there. Um, and now, J.J., let's go to Manchester City. Um, good performance from them. They beat Leeds United. And uh, once again, it's another game where Erling Holland dominates the headlines, scores twice in this one. We talked about Mo Salah the other night when we uh, when we did the pod, how you know he scored for Liverpool, and we were like, oh, yeah, that's right, like Salah. You know, like, the, er, Holland talked about the fact that not being at that World Cup fueled him, that it, it angered him, that you know he had to kind of sit back and watch while all these other superstars went off and, and played in this high-profile event, and he couldn't do it. So I, I shudder to think, J.J., what an angry Erling Holland looks like now coming back into the Premier League. I mean, he seemed fairly angry beforehand. If we're going on goals as a measure of anger, um, he's just picking up where he left off. 20 goals. Hmm. Fastest player to get to that number. Um, it took him just 14 games. Kevin Phillips. Yeah. He was the, he 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 was the previous record holder, and he did it in like what was it twenty five games or something like that. Um, Boy, amazing. I would have been I, I would have been here a long time waiting to guess that name, Kevin Phillips. Yeah, yeah. now now look, Phillips, you know he scored everywhere he went. Uh, he was he was a a, a brilliant player. Um, oh, sorry, so Kevin Phillips. That's uh, seven games quicker than previous record holder Kevin Phillips. He needed 21 games. That's pretty good going too. Mm-hmm. Um, Phillips Phillips was really good. He had a, formed a great partnership with Niall Quinn and Sunderland in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but yeah, you would have been a while getting to that name. It's amazing. Um, so so Sky did this little thing. How many goals could Haaland score? Uh, Haaland is on course for 63 goals in all competitions if he man- maintains his current appearance rate and City reach all the finals. Or 47 goals in the Premier League. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. You you plug the best striker in the world, or one of the best young strikers in the world, into the best team in the world, and this is what you get. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, You know, we mentioned Ronaldo before. Sometimes I, I do, like, combining the Holland stuff with Ronaldo I do think sometimes like with the way Ronaldo's career is kind of sputtering to a not so glamorous end we forget at times how great he was I saw this tweeted out by ESPN FC 
Um, if Erling Holland wanted to match Cristiano Ronaldo's 700 league goals, he'd have to score 40 goals a season until the year 2037. Pretty amazing. So I'll at least give Ronaldo that. It's incredible. You're not impressed. JJ has uh, no. JJ has decided. No, it's it's just I'm I'm kind of I've I can't keep talking about Ronaldo. I mean, he is a nowhere man right now, literally. Uh, so I I I just I just ponder Holland and like, you know, is is this is this pelt sustainable? Um, and when he hits a dip in form, what does that look like? As all strikers do eventually. Um, yeah, amazing. It's terrifying too. The the idea that you know he might struggle in our league is um, is really not uh, bearing out to be the case. No, um, and you know even besides him, it, it's worth bringing up uh, Jack Grealish. I thought you know a guy who hasn't really had a ton of opportunity to emerge for this Manchester City team. I thought he came on, played really well for them in this game. Um, Albeit missed absolute sitters. So I yeah, was on the plane. One of them I thought was, uh, when I watched the replay of the the ball that was played in, uh, who was it, De Bruyne crossed it to him. Um, and he kind of like, on the he tried to take it on the volley. Granted, it's an open net and he's only like a few yards from goal. But I felt like the ball kind of, I don't know that he expected it to get over the, the heads that were trying to deflect it away. Got to his leg quickly. I, I don't blame him quite so much for that one. Yeah. I don't know. He one. just has to, every opportunity he gets, Andrew, he has to play well. He just has to do it and he has to please Pep because he's at a point in his career where he's got to look at it and think, you know, I need to be one of the first names on the team sheet here. I'm the most expensive player in English football history. I'm, you know, I left my boyhood club to to come to this and and, and really... You know, it's been kind of poor. I don't care what the stats say when he does play. I really don't. He's just like, he's a bit part player and he needs to be like, for for his own, like he's a bit part player for both England and his his club side. This is, this can't be the way he, he, he would have mapped it out when he when he left Aston Villa. And he's not so young anymore. No, he's not. He's twenty-seven. Yeah, like he's in his prime. Like this. Yeah. this is it. He's in the thick of it. So, yeah. I now there was agree. a slight. There was a sliding doors moment when he comes on against Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final, and you know Courtois pulls off. Though I thought I thought Grealish was really good when he came on, but Courtois was just thwarted him. And I wonder if any any of those chances had gone in. Um, does that really kickstart his time at City? So, but, you know, like you said, 27 now, it's, it should be happening now. There, there's no tomorrows. It's now. And um, I wonder if we get to the end of the season and he's still making, you know, regular appearances off the bench, but not a starter, does he, does he kind of look and, and think, maybe I need to be elsewhere? And how, and how would that even work? We'll see. I don't know. That doesn't feel realistic, but... Uh, who knows? Uh, I guess you can't rule anything out. One of the things from this game that was, you know, we, we do this all the time with Manchester City, but sometimes in these games where they, they play really well, which for the most part, I know they did concede a goal eventually um, in the 73rd minute uh, and nearly gave up another one shortly after that could have made for a pretty exciting finish. But overall, Together. I thought this was a pretty pretty strong performance from City. And so when that happens, I sometimes like to look and see, okay, well, who didn't play for them? Um, you know, like, Jao Cancelo came off the bench. Phil Foden came off the bench. 
uh, Kyle Walker didn't play, Emmerich Laporte, Bernardo Silva, Calvin Phillips, who Pep says is out of shape. Um, it's, you know, it's scary. Like Rico Lewis started, an 18-year-old started in this game for Manchester City. Uh, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy the depth that they have. And, and also, too, like Kevin De Bruyne, who's coming off such a below-par World Cup, you know, what's he going to be? He comes back to City. He was brilliant in this game. The assist for Erling Holland. What a pass. He had another one, JJ. Um, he had a flick in the second half, I think it was. Like a no-look flick that was just like, it was out of this world, some of, the, of what he's capable of. So, I don't know. Anybody who watched that World Cup and thought, uh, maybe De Bruyne, uh, maybe we've seen the best of him. No, not yet. Don't worry. There's There's plenty more. Plenty more. I, I, yeah, and I wouldn't compare De Bruyne playing for City and De Bruyne playing for Belgium. For for a start, he came in thinking that his, his teammates were too old. So, you know, I mean, he was... The vibe was not good there at no, all. No, no, and he was he was part of that. Yep. Um, yeah, but he's he looks plenty happy at City. Um, quick one, quick one com- bef- before we move on, because we need to move on. Um, I should say... Uh, Erling Haaland getting a reception at Leeds that other opposition players are not likely to be afforded based on the fact he was born in Leeds and that his father was decent for Leeds for a few seasons. Well, I think and he's he... also said that that's the club he supports. Yeah, sure. Definitely. But still, <laughs> you know, he's never kicked a ball for Leeds United. No, but I guess just the... Look, sometimes with certain fan bases, it doesn't take much to win them over. Like, Mike Trout gets cheered in Philadelphia. He's never played for the Phillies, but he's an Eagles fan. And so, like, they love him in Philadelphia. Like, the fact mm. that I think Holland has said that, like, Leeds is the is his club as a fan. Like, sometimes that's all it takes to win fans over. Oh, you you like the team that I like? Oh, we're friends, and I love you now. So, I, yeah, I get th- it. That is a good point. I get that. I had one other kind of peripheral note from this one. So, Tyler Adams, um, he had gotten sent off in Leeds previous match before the break against Tottenham. So he wasn't available for this one. So he was kind of doing some stuff with NBC's coverage, which was cool. Good idea by them. And uh, as they were talking to him, he just, he kind of just let slip. It felt like, you know, he just was like matter of factly talking about, you know, the, the years to come for the U S men. And he's just like, yeah. And, you know, we'll be in Copa America, which is, which is hugely important. And like, no one stopped to ask a follow-up, but I heard it. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, did we know that that was official? Or, or oh, okay, cool. Like, this is this is great. Tyler Adams just told us that we're in Copa America. Yep, the noise around it seemed. I I, I feel like just before Christmas, you thought there's going to be an announcement because everyone seems to be talking about it. But there was no fi- official announcement. Uh, clearly, Adams is privy to some information we don't have. But I mean, or he's making the same assumptions we've been making. I don't know. Quite possible. Quite possible. Well, I hope it's true. I now assume that it's true. Oh, uh, we need it to be true for this podcast and for <laughs> just for our sanity because analyzing friendlies for four years and the odd gold cup is not going to cut it. No, we need we need more. We do have a women's world cup this summer, thank God. That but, is good. That is very, a, very we good. We need every we need every summer to have stuff that's awesome. Uh, calm down, Arsene Wenger. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're 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 saying it without saying it. I'm not saying it. You have I'm not received. saying it. Loud and clear, buddy. I'm I not see saying J- it. He's, JJ's winking right now. You can't World see Cup winking. every two years, no. World Cup he, every he three winked. years, no. He just winked again. World Series Cup, no. 
World Club Cup with 32 teams in it. No. JJ, should we get to some of our year in review material? We should probably do that. I make it sound so mechanical. Here's my year in review material. I'm Larry King. Um, so I'm going to start here. So I have, I have, you and I actually have some different categories. Now you went rogue. I told I you I was making a rundown. You in your impetuous. You didn't nature. tell me that until until later. I preemptively, I didn't know a rundown was coming, so I just kind of went and did my own thing. Um, fine, because I'm responsible, and professional. Typically, fall in line with whatever you want. As okay, well then you'll you'll, you'll love my first category here. I'll go. I'll do this one first because it ties in directly with what we were just talking about, um, and that is my dumbest thing of the year, JJ. And that goes to everyone out there who questioned Erling Holland signing and his fit at Manchester City after a, a so-so showing in the Community Shield. And I'm proud of myself because on that podcast, people, respectable people were questioning it after that game. And I said right then and there, what are you all doing? Think think about what you're all doing right now and how dumb this is. This is so this is a glorified friendly and you're judging the signing off of that. What's going on? No, the fit, oh, I just don't know if he can if the ticky tack of style that Pep likes, if if he's gonna if him and De Bruyne will ever get on the same page. It's not you know, look at the runs he's making. It's they're just not their timings stop. And now here we are. And he's shattering records every week. It was dumb then. It's dumb now. I can't believe that it happened. A shame. Shame on all of you out there. You know, everyone hides from that opinion now, but they're, they were out there, JJ. You saw it. You saw all of it on Twitter, interviews with people. They were out there questioning that signing after the Community Shield. That was the dumbest thing that happened in 2022. That was, that was pretty dumb. Um, I didn't have a dumbest thing that happened in 2022. I think the fact that we had a World Cup in the winter... Um, <laughs> Kind of just covers all those bases. Uh, I had my favorite moment of the year. I was Di Maria's goal in the World Cup final. I just, mm. I sat back and I thought, what's the moment that made me, that really made me go, oh, that was it. That just whole move was just perfection. It was a goal worthy of a final. Um, it's just my favorite thing. Yeah, that, that was that was awesome. That's a highlight you'll see forever. Um, and I guess with that, let's go into uh, match of the year. So for me, it's the World Cup final. But like, if that's too obvious and we're not allowed to say that, then I will I will remove my Philadelphia Union underpants and I will be unbiased and I'll say, okay, well then after that, it's probably MLS Cup final. I think you know, there's a there's a belief. I certainly believe it that that's the greatest MLS Cup final that's ever ever happened. If we can't use that one. Because it's too obvious, then I would say Rodrigo scoring twice in two minutes in stoppage time in the Champions League semifinal, and then Benzema scoring early in extra time on a penalty to really stun Man City. Mm. That was unbelievable. I mean, honestly, like the kind of stuff where you're just like, pinch me. What am I seeing here? Uh, and, and an honorable mention that I'll get for match of the year, JJ, I'll throw Everton a bone, and I'll say them fighting back from two goals down to beat Palace 3-2 and avoid relegation, um, or at least stave it off heading into the final week. Uh, that what a I mean that was my match of the season at the, back in the Devonlings and it and it holds up for me here. I think everything about that game and everything that came after it was just truly amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, it it feels weird to do this because this has kind of had a lighthearted feel so far. But my worst moment of the year. Um, so I like I have two here. I'm still not not over the loss of of Grant Wall. I yeah. um. I still can't wrap my head around it. It seems so, so just so dreadfully tragic, and and I I feel 
I feel terrible. And a couple of times I found myself going to his, and this is, this is morbid, but I found myself going to his Twitter page and just seeing his last tweets and trying to figure out how this ever could have happened. Um, so our thoughts are still with him and, and yeah, and, and anybody who's going through a loss or bereavement, particularly around this time of year, it seems all the more, more, more poignant and, and, and hard. Um, and so we're thinking of you guys too. And, and then on a, just on a personal note, the, the Champions League final, I, uh, it, it, the game itself, look, you lose games, so what? It can happen. And Real Madrid were, were a team of, of destiny, if you want to put it that way. But when you're in the ground and you're like kind of trying to figure out what's going on outside and you're getting text messages from, from, from home, not from, not from par- people in Paris, but people watching on TV telling you what they can see on the cameras. And uh, yeah, it was just such a, a frightening scenario. Um, in Paris for the Champions League final, and um, and I'm we're just so glad that there was nobody really seriously hurt. Um, al- although I'm sure there's plenty of people who were very very traumatized by it, uh, and um, yeah, that the, the whole Champions League final experience, the whole thing, even after the game, you know, walking through Saint Denis and trying to get out. Now it was very nice, I will say the. The family of Your Real experience Madrid. was not like many other people's experiences at that event. In what way? Well, a lot of people's experience was that they left the stadium and they were immediately mugged. Yours right. was you met a family who fed you sandwiches. Yeah, I'm a, who'd driven up from, from Madrid and who'd opened up the back of their camper van and, and shouted at me as I'm walking by, down by, under coming under one of the underpasses and, say, and said, hey, Liverpool... Like that, and I turned around, and they were just the friendliest people, hardcore Madrid fans, and uh, they gave me sandwiches and beer, and we sat on the side of the road for for a you know a half hour talking. So yeah, it, m- my experience was not everybody's. Yeah, um, yeah, that was actually I, I I literally I had a category here called the "What the hell is going on here?" moment <laughs> of the year because there were the those were the moments where I remember saying that out loud to the people I was with, and that was that was my winner. JJ was the was everything that happened leading up to that Champions League final when you're looking in the scenes in the, in the stadium and you're just like where where is everyone what's going on and then yeah. you, really it was Twitter where news was breaking for that I mean the videos that were coming from Twitter were were so profound and and you couldn't you couldn't take your eyes off your feed with what was going on outside of that building and then an honorable mention for the what the hell is going on here moment of the season to the uh the US Iran press conference uh, as those oh. questions were being asked, I remember saying, "What the hell's going on here? What what is this? What's what's happening?" Now we came Iranian to find out that it was state journalists yeah. were happening. <laughs> but like when Greg Berhalter was asked for his opinion on the the U.S. naval fleet in the Persian Gulf, you, you said, "What?" Well, Berhalter? to be honest with you, as a guy who's a Greg Berhalter skeptic, if he doesn't know where the ships, where U.S. naval ships are positioned in the Persian Gulf, should he really be manager? I mean, how can he possibly put together a coherent? defense if he doesn't know what our our, our naval troops are up to uh, that point. would be i think he should go uh, you know his answer was inadequate just like his managing it's a, good, it's a good point i think there's a lot of people who probably agree with every single word you just said there uh let's see the this these next couple are, are just kind of i'm not even going to pretend these are just super biased uh, not the best goal of the year but my favorite goal of the year Pulisic versus iran 
that there was no moment, no goal was scored this year that caused me to celebrate the way that I did when that happened. Just my favorite goal of the year. I don't even know what's close. I have included this and I've included audio, which I sent you, which you will include in this podcast. Um, Rodrigo's goal against Chelsea for Real Madrid at the Bernabeu in the Champions League quarterfinal with the Modric assist outside of the right foot. Oh, here is Martin Tyler describing it. Modric, it's a great ball. Rodrigo arrives with a flourish. And there's another twist to the tail here. And finally, as Alan Smith predicted, Real Madrid do score. Andrew, there's a, there's a meme about Martin Tyler that he uh, doesn't get excited like he really should for great goals anymore. No, he's he's become English Al Michaels. Yeah. I feel that way with that one. I mean, I know it's... You, you, there's some goals where you have to wait for the replay to really discover their, their majesty. However, this one is not one of those. Uh, for anyone who didn't see it, it's Modric tucked in, you know, 35, 40 yards out on the left-hand side, outside of the right boot, curls it round and over a defender. Round and over a defender onto the onrushing Rodrigo, who side foot volleys it past Edward Mendy. And Martin Tyler, I need more from you, Martin. You know, that's one of those where you go, Modric, Rodrigo, oh! just like that. Do that. Right. Just make a noise. Yeah, I started, you know, you know what I think of him. He's a legend. I he mean, is. God, is he great. I started to notice it a little bit when he was on the call of the Liverpool comeback against Barcelona in the Champions League semifinal. I felt like he didn't, I don't know, he didn't quite get to the heights that I thought that moment deserved. No, and, and, and I'm very much of the Barry Davies school of commentary, where sometimes you, you're, you, you realize that you're not, you know, Barry Davis wasn't one that was waiting for the striker to do something so he could give his pre-prepared, you know, comment. Whereas some commentators do feel like they're doing that. But even Barry Davis would, would get ex- super excited. Oh. Whereas, you know. Yeah, but like Martin Tyler, JJ, not like his call of Aguero's title winner, uh, like that was, a, that's one of the greatest calls I've ever heard. So like he, you know, he's he's great in those moments. He let the he did for Aguero what you wanted him to do for Rodrigo. He he let the O, he screamed the O for a while. Then what was it he said after that? Uh, do not drink adjust, it in. Drink it in. You'll I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Uh, it, yeah. was, now, it was now that was a stuff. major 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 moment. But even still, I do feel there's a there's a Liverpool supporting comedian who's convinced that he just hates Liverpool. So he does these. Uh, <laughs> These these TikToks of whenever, uh, you know, a, a commentary, a Martin Tyler commentary of a, of a Salah goal, we'll say. Uh, Salah picks the ball out, turns, Mohamed Salah, 1-0 Liverpool. <laughs> but all the while he's making these faces like he's completely upset and disgruntled that Salah Rolling scored. his eyes, kind of. <laughs> yeah, rolls his eyes. Um, it's very, very funny. And I'm, I'm sure... Um, Martin Tyler's not doing that. But you know what? He's getting a bit older, as is Al Michaels. Yeah. Heard a English, rumor that Al English Michaels Al. Eats, eats his dinner throughout uh, the, the uh, Sunday night football broadcast. So the game is kind of just like dinner theater. So he's, he, he will, you know, when there's a break in play, Al is chowing down. 
It's not true. It's probably It's not true. Uh, Let's see. A couple more that I have here, JJ. Uh, My favorite story of the year. Um, Maybe I I think I'm prisoner of the moment. I think that there's I'm trapped right now. But Tim Ream's reascent. I I just love talking about over the summer. I remember saying like I remember saying over the summer. Why why is this guy? What's going on here? Like, what am I missing? And sure enough, like, (laughs) look what he just did. Uh, And also as a honorable mention. I feel like this was so long ago. I almost can't even believe it was this year. Um, the Sounders and the CONCACAF Champions League, they did it. They broke the curse. Uh, so I, I wanted to throw that in there as well. What a what a great thing that that, uh, that, that was for MLS. And um, for that I've, just got, I've just got one more here. That I, I, in, in my recollections of the year, I had the U.S. Men's National Team moment of the year that stands out the most. And it was just a... The Tim Weah goal versus Wales. Let's have a listen. Musa, Sergeant Polisic on the run. Polisic has Weah. Polisic rolls it in. Tim Weah! Just included that one because, I mean, that's what we've been building to for eight years. That was the culmination of eight years of waiting. And it was a, I, I watched it back. It's a really good goal. Yeah, like you know the way Sergeant lays it off, uh, Polisic's run, the pass, the finish is really, really good. And yeah, yeah, I'm still miffed that we didn't go on and actually beat Wales in that game because I really think they were there for the taking. But whatever, it was still a, a great moment, a kind of a, a a release after all those years of waiting and um. A few demons were were exercised, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree. It was that was a great moment. But you're right, the fact that they couldn't they couldn't seal the deal in that game, I don't know, hurts it a little bit for me. I can't I can't help it. Um, let's see, breakout stars of the year, JJ. I don't know, maybe this, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm a little off here. Maybe this is more last year, but uh, or the year before. But I don't know. I I I feel like Fetty Valverde for me, he went up a level this year in terms of the way I view him. Um, I'll also throw this one in there. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, like, think about the year as a whole. Darwin Nunez, for going from Benfica to making a, a massive money move uh, to Liverpool. I know he's I know he's out of his mind as a player. No one knows if he's, like, incredible <laughs> or awful. He's, it's fascinating. Um, but, you know, he, he certainly, I think, upped his profile this season now it's 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 headed back down currently but it'll probably go back up again um his 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 season is like watching just a a wild erratic ekg just like some crazy heart monitor um so i yeah i put those two i feel like i'm 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 sure i'm missing out some other good breakout stars but those are a couple of the ones that really struck me from this year Um, yeah i've just got one that that's kind of come across my radar this year and who maybe Rumor has it joining Arsenal this January. I, I don't know if it's going to happen this January, but maybe in the summer. But if he does, what a signing it will be. And uh, that's Mikhailo Mudrig. <laughs> from, well, Arsenal um, are certainly trying. They, they, I mean, they really are. Every time he plays, I just think, what a player he is. You know, his pace, his, his ability to carry the ball... The way he links with players, his passing. Oh, I, I mean, I'd love to have him. I really would love to have him. 
He's fabulous. And um, yeah, he's my breakout star. Uh, finally, last one for me. This one's a little strange because it wound up, the ending to this story was a happy one. But in the moment, this is the head in my hands moment of despair from 2022. And I went with when Tottenham broke Antonio Conte after just four months <laughs> following their loss to Burnley. Um, remember after that game, JJ, this ma- this proud manager, this title-winning manager in multiple leagues, uh, after losing to Burnley, he was quoted, he, he questioned his entire existence as a manager and said, maybe I'm not so good. Yes, I'm not so good. I think Tottenham called me to improve the situation, but I'm too honest to close my eyes and to continue to say, okay, but I want to finish the season, but my salary's good. No, I'm not this type of person. He's basically telling them, fire me. I deserve it. I'm scum. That's what Tottenham did to that man after four months. Now, in the it's end, like- they qualified for Champions League and he's still there. But, like, they'll break anyone, JJ. They will break anyone. It was... Now, whenever I see a manager who's under pressure, I'm thinking, are they going to do a Conte at Burnley? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I heard I heard David Moyes today being asked, you know, are you under pressure? Well, there's always pressure. You know, that kind yeah. of response. Yeah. I, don't do that. Get the journalist in your car and drive to Burnley. And ask him the question there on the sideline and, and, and basically talk your way out of your job. If you yeah. really, that was stunning. He, oh, Maybe I mean, I thought he was so gone. Good. I never thought he'd get to the end of the season, let alone the Champions League and that run that they went on. Remember that game against Leicester? The comeback game oh, against Leicester? Like, yeah. And, and the huge game, remember the, the game against Arsenal that had been canceled earlier for the bogus yeah. COVID stuff? that then they replayed and Tottenham just kind of blew them out of the water in that one. Yeah. Near, right near the end. Yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've something that was just, and just to, to round it off here, uh, some of our reminiscing from the year just passed, a funniest moment. And, and a few people were, were saying it didn't have to be football related. Although everything on this podcast is in some way football related. So, uh, a bunch of people said the funniest moment on or off the field anywhere was your son locking himself in his bedroom and requiring the fire brigade to come out. <laughs> that wasn't this year. That was this year. No way. Yeah. That was that was that was 2021. Had to be. Ooh, I don't know about that. Well, let me go check the town records of a dispatched <laughs> fire department to my to my house. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure my that was one, last year. My one's very recent, and it's almost a shame to repeat it again. You know, I should have something fresh. I know there's lots of other funny things, um, but, you know, you falling down the stairs. Oh, Christ. Under the weight of that television is just, it's gold to me. I, I Just you writhing underneath it like an upturned wood beetle. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. It's everything I've ever wanted to see, and it, it breaks my heart I wasn't there. To laugh at me, not to help me, to, to point no, and laugh. No, to laugh and then to help you. But knowing that you were okay, just your exquisite discomfort, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it, it, uh, I, I find you in certain scenarios, like you, you're unintentionally hilarious to me. Oh, good. I'm glad at, that I can entertain you. So, so one I wanted to let people in on was when when we were in ESPN when we used to work for uh, the Evil Empire. Oh, come uh, on, come on, I'm joking. Uh, when we were there, 
and uh, you used to, nothing gave you more joy than for, for lunch to have a really tasty sandwich and chips. And so there was always napkins right there. You had, you had a nice stacked pile of napkins. Yeah. And I just thought, what could I write to either give him a laugh, but or also to like make him react in some way. So I went about five or six napkins down and I wrote in pen on the napkin. <laughs> Nobody respects you. <laughs> I remember. Because I knew you'd eventually get to that and you'd find it funny. But it, it also just, just a perfect line. Yeah, I do remember getting it. And I didn't know who wrote it. And I don't even think I reacted. I was just like, yeah. It was like pulling a fortune out of a fortune cookie that was insulting in some way. I yeah, went, yeah, yeah. I deserve this. And there's one more thing that you do as well. If someone uh, like that you don't know that well or that we've bumped into in, in the course of like working for the podcast, if they give you a terrible idea, if they say something that we should do that you or, you know, ask you to do something, your reaction is priceless every time. Because it's like you can't break, you can't break being the nice guy or you can't break, you can't even attempt to, you're so worried about even attempting to upset them that you will say, yeah, sure, that's something we can do. <laughs> yeah. And you do it just like that. And every time I know it's such a tell. Yeah, it's all in the tone. Yeah. It's all in the tone. Anyway, you, that's enough. You, about you had me. also, one, one last one that I wanted to include, because I saw in your list, you wanted to include the favorite pod moment of the year. Um Mine was unquestionably when we uh, recorded ourselves watching the final yeah. day in the Premier League. God, was that fun. Yeah, that um, was my one too. Going back and re-listening to that. You're, and just the the maniacal noises of you. Uh, and just the way you were treating me near the end as uh, as Manchester City were mounting their comeback. You accused me of, of supporting them because I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you wanted from me. Like I needed to be in tears uh, at the thought of Liverpool losing. Like I care. It, it was no, but you it were was like, hilarious. Oh, this, this is amazing. Oh, oh, wow, wow. Oh, like as if it was like, I just had a fatalism about that. Even in the moments where it looked like Liverpool were going to win the league and City were going to blow it at home to Villa. You know, after the Coutinho goal, I just had that feeling. City are still going to come back. Yeah, they sure did. And the way you they snapped were... at me, I, w I was riveted by the Salah, Sun, Golden Boot chase as it was seesawing back and forth. You snapped at me. No one cares about the Golden Boot. Oh, man. It, it was, but it was great. It was hilarious. I, I loved every second of it. It was. So that was, that was my favorite pod moment. Yeah, you saw me in my raw, um, my raw yeah. state. Do you want me to get some of the listeners' uh, memories of the of the year past? Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, our friend Jody Avergan, just on my one block in Brooklyn, I had neighbors rooting for Ecuador, Mexico, Brazil, Spain, US, and our family for Costa Rica. So much fun to run into folks each morning, chat about how it was going, ride the roller coaster of emotion with them. Uh, there's it, nothing it, like the World Cup. No, and there's nothing like, and I think this is where Jody still lives, uh, if it's okay that I say that, uh, Sunset Park. <laughs> there's nothing like Sunset Park in the world. It's, it's such an amazing part of Brooklyn and uh, the diversity of people that are there. And, 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 and I will say, watching the World Cup in New York, it's, as, it's not as good as being there, but it's not bad. It's not bad because you'll bump into people on the subway, wearing their shirt, their jersey, their colors, and you can give them a knowing look. And uh, 
and they'll talk to you and you can meet people in bars and just converse openly. It's, it really does bring everyone together. Even though every time I say it, nothing brings the World Cup together or nothing brings the world together like the World Cup. I feel like some kind of FIFA hype man, you know, the kind of guy Infantino would love. Um, Tim Chase. Ah, Tim. Tim, Tim, Tim. Uh, I just put this in there so you could... I wanted to defend you here, Andrew. Uh, when Andrew insisted that Reyna wasn't playing in Qatar because of injury, but it turns out that everyone else was right and Greg is just an awful coach. <laughs> like, you didn't why, why, insist. Why did you, I did, though. No, why but you, you include this one? No, but you didn't. No, that, what that, you Tani, said... that, you're, that Andrew was an effing idiot. No. Oh, thanks. But thanks for including this. But, dude, that's not how it played out at all. What you said was... Something has weird. To, my my it, stance all along was that obviously something weird is happening here. Now, in right. the moment, I thought it was injury because that was right. the only one that made sense. What we wound up finding out was, look, it may or may not have been fitness as part of it, but it was also that Gio Reyna's attitude was so poor, he was nearly sent home. And the t- and his teammates were fine with that. Right. Like, I, so I, so I, I will say that, look, I don't, in the end, maybe Tim is right. I don't know if injury was part of it, which is what I was saying. Cause that was just kind of what I assumed the reason would be, but I'm also kind of right. Something weird was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No, you're I'm with you. Uh, yeah. Let's wow. Where, where's the, uh, JJ's an effing idiot tweets. I, I don't That's, see those. Oh my God. Here. I wasn't doing that. I was trying to defend you because what, what I took from what you said was, was different. It was like, listen, he's either injured or there's something very strange going on. There is no way that if he's fit or that if everything is okay in the camp, that he wouldn't be picked. That was, that was, right. uh, that, so, so that's not, that's not insisting that he's injured. That's saying there's got to be a reason outside of a footballing reason. And there, and there was. Right. It was just in the moment I leaned on injury just because yeah. I, I, it was beyond me at that point that something was going sure. on that we actually found out was that's what was going on. So Sure. Last time I defend you, by the way. Absolute last time with the way uh, you reacted there. I was there. stunned when I saw that included. I said, he's, he's out to ruin me, isn't he? <laughs> Bob Duggan, um, teaching while World Cup games were happening and students updating me as they filed out. A fascinating conversation with a proud Saudi Arabian student. My own kids watching during lunch at school. Felt like I was in a soccer country at last. Yeah, you saw um, scenes of that all over America. It was really cool. Yeah. Chris Durham, the ability of the U.S. men's national team to bring perfect strangers together in a bar on a weekday at all hours of the day. You hug and cheer with people you've never met before over a goal or a blown call. It's amazing to me how sports can bring people together. Yep. Um, Rourke, uh, getting married the day before the World Cup final, then on our way up to our honeymoon, stopping to watch the game in a packed Buffalo Wild Wings. Mm. Other wing joints are available with my wife who is who is also a soccer lover best weekend of my life for so many reasons Uh, michael anthony at bale's goal in the mls cup final and then the penalty shootout and winning our first mls cup i had to turn down a ticket to the game because it was my fiance's birthday but i'll never forget watching it and screaming my head off an extra time lost my voice for three days i'm gonna be that guy and i know all relationships are different and other things are valued I mean, he seems like a really big LAFC fan. Could you not have done something else for her birthday on a different day? Like, why did it have to be? Like, if there's a clash there. Was it a there, special birthday? Was it like her 30th? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. This feels like uh, like a Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting I-, I had to see about a girl moment where like sometimes yeah. love just trumps all. 
I don't know. I know, but can it trump all on a different day? <laughs> on a day that doesn't clash That's with the biggest That's not how this game. works, JJ. That's not what love is. I want to know what love is, Andrew. I, um, I want you to show me. Uh, Fabio from Long Island, the best moment of 2022, Forza Milan, Sempre Milan, and that's uh, Milan uh, with the Scudetto, which was mm-hmm. which was pretty great. And as uh, Latan smoking a cigar, Connor Redmond, the two minute window where Costa Rica and Japan were going through. Oh, wild was that. that? Oh my God, <laughs> mental, God. absolutely mental. Uh, Mitch Carr, that Man City second leg collapse against Real Madrid is probably the worst sports loss I've experienced in any sport in my entire life. Still baffles me. Uh, I could see that. Could, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I loved that game. I thought that second leg was so good, so enthralling. Uh, Van613 on Instagram just wrote, Veghorst. <laughs> uh, in World Cup bingo, I did not have Vout Veghorst nearly upending Argentina with two goals in a World Cup quarterfinal. Did not have it. Because to me, he'll always be Sean Dyche's Vout Veghorst. Uh, Michael Diver, Stuttgart and Pellegrino Matarazzo Escape relegation with a late, late goal. Hoping he lands another position soon. Overlooked American coach. Uh, yeah, that was pretty dramatic stuff. And then, of course, Lucas Plain uh, mentions the aforementioned uh, Everton 3, Crystal Palace 2. Mm-hmm. Pro- I would say since he retired, the absolute highlight of Frank Lampard's career. Definitely. I mean, t- unbelievable. Just this wave of emotion, and then he runs up onto the like the roof of the director's box, or just in front of it, and he's just like there, just like, and all the love that was oh fans you know, on he, the pitch, yeah. He he gets our club, everything, and then he goes into the locker room and and tells Seamus Coleman he's the greatest man he's ever known. Just high high emotion, um, and Spencer Sherrod with a really good shout. Feels like it was eons ago. But Christian Eriksen returning to the Prem with Brentford. Mm, yeah. yeah, really good one. Uh, and Alexander or Alexander rounds us off. <laughs> uh, drinking champagne and watching the Rave Green lift the Champions, uh, the CONCACAF Champions League trophy was incredible. Yep. It really was. And that was 2022, Andrew. What a year. God, what a what year a... in soccer. What a year in, in caught offside. We're independent now. Think of how, how our lives have changed. We are businessmen now. Uh, it's it's incredible. And I'm so excited for 2023, all the new things that we hope to do with this podcast. Um, increase the YouTube content, bring you as much, hopefully, merch in, in soon enough. If you can a make a people, decision on, 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 on finally what you want from our... I'm waiting our... for you. I texted you today. I said I narrowed it down. I'm waiting for you now. You haven't all right, responded. I'll, I'll get back to you then in the morning. Unbelievable. I won't let you publicly embarrass me like this when, when that's not it's not the truth. Um, but yeah, we're so excited for what's to come. Um, I guess now we'll close out, JJ, like we mentioned earlier. Um, the news of the day, of course, Pele, uh, who passed away at the age of 82. Uh, like we said, you had the chance to speak with him uh, six and a half years ago or so, um, yeah. 2016. And uh, you want to set this up and we'll we'll go out with this. Yeah, I um, I walked the 30 yards into the room to the greatest player there ever has been and the icon of the game. And I sat down and I talked to him for approximately 10 minutes and uh, it was pretty special. Here's that conversation. Happy New Year, everybody. Edson Orantes de Nascimento. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, you said 
very, very correctly, but a lot of people don't know who is Edson Arantes do Nascimento. Well, um, I grew up with the legend of Edson Arantes <laughs> de Nascimento, so um, I was just looking at some of the amazing artifacts and memorabilia from your career over there, and I'm just wondering, at 75 years of age, what do these, these things mean to you right now? Listen, uh, uh, before I answer your question, when I, I'm, I'm joking with you, no, very few people know Edson Arantes do Nascimento because they know only Pelé. No? <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's true. That is very true. Uh, uh, this is, is uh, some important thing in my life, the trophies of uh, who I got in all my career. And then um, the, 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 the opportunity to help other people, to help uh, some charity in Brazil, some house of children, then I, I decided to do the, uh, the ocean of my trophies. Um, when you look at those uh, trophies now, when you look back at your career, do you, do you get emotional? Do, do you long for those days when you were marauding on the field, when you were the greatest player in the world? Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, have something who just uh, the person who, you know, who are involved in, in this can, 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 can feel for example, we started to talk about you know, the, the help you know, the people, help my, my family with this ocean. And then uh, some directors from Santos, they start to say, oh, you have a, the trophy of a gold, you, know, you have a from Santos champion, and you have the, 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 the medal of FIFA, the former of the gold. But he doesn't mention... The, 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 the box who I used to clean shoes. My, my, my father, when he used to play the Interland of Sao Paulo, my father was a soccer player, yeah, I, I to make some, some money, I, I used to clean the shoes from the other players. Then I have the box with the, in my, my trophy home. This, this is so important for me. <laughs> so, so <laughs> but I... it's not no gold. No, it's it's so it's not about the medals. It's 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 about the things that the, the smaller things even to you. Exactly, exactly. This this is a, some feeling who I want to you know to pass to the people because uh, I didn't remember you know why my mother she keep the the, the box of the then now she said okay you want to to get together I say of course this is important for me. No, this is a part of the memorabilia. Um, at 75, what memories do you have, we'll say, of 1958? You know, a lot of players, they say, um, when they finish their careers, uh, they don't remember the big games. Do you remember those moments? <laughs> well, I remember several, several <laughs> games. But actually, my, my last game, exhibition game, was in Europe. I, I was with 50. Wow. <laughs> that was no, not too much, too much time, time ago. Was after I played with New York Cosmos, but uh, I think it's important to to to, to remember you know, all those those moments. It's important to the question you said was about uh, 58. 58. Mm. Then people sometimes they come talk with me about the World Cup. They say, "Oh, Pele." In '58, you was young. You were 17 years old. Ah, oh, my God! How you you, you survive was <laughs> then? <laughs> then I answered, 
listen, 58 was very important to me. I was young, but it was not my responsibility because I, I, it was a dream for me. The other players, the former players at that time, Didi, Favar, Garincha, you know, Newton Santos, those players was you know, the former player, was the most experienced player. But to me, the World Cup in 70 in Mexico, right. that was tough for me. <laughs> That's because, because you were the big uh, star. Exactly. Then uh, I, I, I announced before the World Cup will be my last World Cup. No, then at the pressure, you say, oh, my God, it will be my last World <laughs> Cup. Please help me. And God was very good with me because that World Cup, that moment was very difficult for me. That was a difficult moment for you because of... Was it because of the pressure you put on yourself to finish with a win? Because all Brazil you know, started to wait the victory, the, the, my last World Cup, I, I decided you no, know, retired. Was that was, but the, the first World Cup was fantastic, but it was only dream. It was only dream. <laughs> can, can I suggest to you that perhaps your time in America, in New York, because of the pressure you felt at Santos and because of the pressure you felt for, with the Brazilian national team, that you could really relax and enjoy your football in New York. Is, is that true? Well, this is more or less what you say, more or less. Because at the same time, because uh, Brazil was champion in 70, Santos, my team, was champion in 73, the, the World Cup in, mm. in, in Brazil. Then, that time, I have a lot of proposals to go to Italy, to go to England, to go to Spain, Mexico. I had, coincidentally, Mr. Kinsinger, he was in Sao Paulo That's that right. time. And then he invited me and said, listen, we want to, to promote the, the, the soccer in the United States because we have the, all the, the university, the college. You, did you want to... To, to be with us, to help us with the football. Then I say, but how, how come? If I, no, no, you go there, you give a clinic in college, you play with the New York Cosmos, the new team. I thought I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, Mr. Kissinger doesn't Mr. joke. <laughs> then, then I was serious. I say, okay, I, I have this experience. And then I have to thank him because it was... For me, for my, for my identity, was one of the best things God gave it to me, because I learned English. I have opportunity to do a lot of work outside of football and promote football. No? All right, I've been told I have only one more question for you, so I'm going to make it a good one. Um, you said recently that you feel right now there's only two world-class, two great players in the world at the moment: Ronaldo, Messi, maybe Neymar. And that there were way more world players, world quality players back in the 70s when you played. Why, why do you think there are only a few great players right now? It's, it's a good question. Good question because we talk a lot about this. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I think before, in my time, the players used to be you know, linked with the team, right. with the president. Now, they, the, the players are linked with the managers, you know, the empresarios. Then the agents, the agents, right. the agents. With 17, 18, uh, 19 years old, 
they didn't stay more in Brazil, they stayed more in Argentina. They, 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 they didn't have the opportunity to, to get this, you know, established. That, I think, is the big problem because, as you mentioned, Neymar. We talk about Neymar in Brazil now, but uh, only Neymar is too little to, you know, to be responsible, to be champion. In my time, we have a Garrincha, Didi, Pelé, Vava, Socrates, Pepe, no? All over the world, you have a you know, Cruyff, you have a Beckenbauer, you have a, you know, Bobby, Bobby Chato, Bobby, Bobby Moore. Yeah, you know, George Best. George Best was the wonderful. To me, it was, he was the second best in the world. I am the first, he's the second. <laughs> he, he, God bless him, he would have been very happy with that. No, and the other, other players, like Cruyff, you know, like Nexa. Today, you, you talk about uh, Neymar and Messi. I think it's too little for the football. Pele, thank you so much for your time, and it's an honor to meet you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Good luck. Fantastic. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.